Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. You see, last week we spoke about the importance of identity when it comes to fathers. We spoke about the purpose of identity when it comes to anyone who is a son or a daughter believing in who Jesus is. We spoke about the importance of knowing who we are. And I think that is such an important topic no matter what time in life that we're living. We have to know who we are and who God's created us to be. But the next part of that was that we had to be aware of who is our source. Now, we were especially speaking to men in that time because very often as men, we like to rely on our own abilities, our own strength, our own information, what we've been taught, all of those different things. And sometimes that becomes something that we trust and rely in more so than we trust in God. And so it's not just about our identity. We have to know who we are. But then we have to know who is the source of our strength, who is the one that gives us the ability to stand strong in difficult situations, who's the one that gives us the ability that no matter what we're facing and what we're up against, to be able to know with confidence that we have someone standing with us, walking alongside of us, bringing us through the difficulties and the circumstances of life. See, that's not just for the men today. That's for all of us. We talked about him being our source because we live in a time, we live in a world, we live in a society right now that has so much dysfunction going on. We live in a time and a day and age where there is a void and a deficit of truth. We live in a time where there's a deficit of pursuing God and his word and there is a surplus of going after the desires of man, a humanistic desire where we have become our own gods, where the things that we think and believe and feel must be the things that are true because we feel them. Now, can we just stop for a moment and think about the fact that we as finite beings, that maybe who get to be on earth for like a hundred years, that we think that we are the ones that get to call the shots. That we think that we're the ones that have all the answers, and if I want something, and if I feel something, well, then it must be true. We live in a time where we see this pursuit, this humanistic desire, and we see the results of it. We see more brokenness than ever before. We see more broken families than ever before. We see more misidentity and depression and anxiety and fear than ever before. It's because we were never meant to put our trust and our hope completely in ourselves. We were never meant to put our hope and our trust in society, in the government, in individuals, in in leaders, in, in all the things that we go after. These were not meant to be the things that gave us our security and our hope. God created us intentionally. He created us to know him, to desire him, and to pursue him. But in doing so, recognizing that it's not because we have all the answers, it's because he does. We have to be in pursuit of what he is calling us to do and knowing that he is our source. As I prepared the message For today, I could have had no idea what 
would have taken place on Friday. The historic moment in our nation where we saw Roe versus Wade being overturned. See, no matter where you stand on the issue, this is a significant issue. It's a significant moment in our nation's history. And as we were looking at this issue and going back to to some of what was said in 1992, I came across this quote from one of the justices who was supporting this, this action of Roe versus Wade. And I read these words, and maybe you've heard these before. I was only six when they were said, so you've got to give me a little bit of, uh, of some grace here. But it was Justice Anthony Kennedy, and he said, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. At one's own heart, we as mankind should be the ones that get to decide what is our existence, our meaning, the universe, and the mystery of human life. I have to say right now that at no point in history should we be the ones who get to determine existence, our purpose, the meaning of the universe, and the mystery of human life. In the same way that we can't decide that gravity isn't going to work anymore, in the same way we can't determine when the sun is going to rise and when it's going to set, in the same way that we can't change the weather or change the laws of this, of this universe, we don't get to decide what is human life and what is not human life. You see, this was a faulty concept from the very, very beginning. But this is once again that humanistic reasoning that we go after in pursuit of becoming our own God because we want to be in control. Because we want to be the ones that have the answer and make sense of things. But this is not how God created humanity. We were created to desire, to pursue, and to rely on him. So we have to know our identity. We have to know the source of our strength. And we have to know what it is that we're going after. The other thing, though, that we have to recognize here today is a question that I've heard fairly often, which is, why does it matter? Why does it matter to Christians? When it comes to any of the things going on in the world right now, whether it's the LGBTQ agenda or any of the other things that we're seeing and facing right now, why do the Christians care? You see, this is a question that matters. It's a question that we have to be aware of because if we don't know why we've been placed on this earth, if we don't know our purpose, if we don't know that God has placed us here on earth to be a reflection of him, to be the ones who are in pursuit of his standard and his truth, to reflect him on the earth. If we don't know who we are, then we don't know why it matters. See, I'm not saying that we should be the police that go after people and walk in condemnation and judgment and tell everybody else why they're wrong. That is not the position of the church. But the position of the church is to be the ones who know the truth, who live it out, and display the results for all of humanity to see what it is when we walk in pursuit of the truth of God. The thing is, though, if we don't know the truth, if we don't firmly stand on the truth, 
If this is not our standard for what is true, then we're going to have a really difficult time living it out, walking it out, and displaying the blessings of God that come when we walk in obedience with his word and his truth. It's really simple. It's a really simple concept. But as we know, really difficult at times to live out. To trust in what he has said and to be in pursuit of it. You see, when we talk about this issue of abortion, and and this is not what the message is going to be on today. But I think it's important before we even say another word just to recognize That when we talk about these issues, it is never in condemnation of those who have had an abortion, who have gone through difficult times, who have made difficult decisions in their lives. I saw a statistic that said one in every four women, I believe, has either had an abortion or knows somebody very closely that has. And so we always want to be very sensitive to this because this is not condemnation. The grace of God, the love of God, For all of us in any area of our lives where we've done something or we've walked through a difficult situation or we did the best that we knew how to do in that moment is available for all of us. And it's so important that we recognize that. The love of Jesus is the cornerstone. It's the foundation of all that we do. The grace of God is what every one of us needs. This moment in time where Roe versus Wade was overturned, this moment in time where we are able to see truth and the standard of truth being reestablished, that life is life, is so important for us because this is a message that matters. This is a time where it matters to know what we believe and why we believe it. It's a time to walk in grace, but it's also a time where I see so many other arguments coming to the forefront. So many other things that are, that are after the fact where life has already been established and now we're trying to figure out what to do with it. Can I just be honest with everyone here today? All right, that's, that's enough yeses. I'll, I'll take that as, a, as permission. Sometimes we treat pregnancy like it's this thing where we're walking down the street and someone just catches it by walking by somebody. Or we can get pregnant by walking into the wrong part of town and all of a sudden... What happened? All the discussions that we have are based on this thing after the fact. After life has already been established. It's important that we understand that when life is conceived at that moment of conception, that it is a life and it matters. We have science now that speaks to this, that shows us this. It's no longer a time where this is an inconclusive thing. We talk about sometimes the the, the less than 1% of the time where there is a result of rape and incest. And this is never ever to make light of that. I'm just going to share a quick story. I didn't get permission. He's a friend of mine. He's not in this church. But I was just reading this testimony that his wife posted about him. Where he had found Jesus. He was adopted when he was very young. He had found Jesus in his 20s, I believe. He had walked with God. He, he was married. They, they were uh, about to have a child. They were talking to his mom because he wanted to find his birth parents. And long story made short, through the course of time and through the course of speaking to different people and then to his adoptive mother, he found out that he was born and conceived 
not just in rape, but also in incest. Imagine finding out this truth 20 plus years into your life. Imagine finding out this truth that that's how you were conceived, that they didn't think he was going to be able to live a normal life, that they didn't think that he was going to be able to develop normally. He didn't think that he was going to be able, they didn't think that he was going to be able to be a functioning person. And yet here he was in his 20s, successful with a job, with a wife, with kids, finding this truth out because God used what the enemy meant for evil and he took it and he turned it around for good. We have to know that God can do anything, even through the most difficult of situations. And we also have to recognize that we as the church need to make sure that we step up in the areas that really matter. That we are the ones reaching out to those in need, supporting the organizations that are supporting life and mothers and and young mothers and and adoption and foster care and all these things. And we're going to be talking about some very specific ways that we're going to go after that in, in another week. But... For right now, I wanted just to touch on this because I believe it's so important with everything that's going on that we are firmly founded in the truth. And this is a much longer and and broader discussion. There's much more to be talked about, and I'm willing to have the conversation at any time. But right now, I want to continue to move on into this chapter that I believe God was leading me into before I ever found out any of this. You see, we have to know our identity, we have to know our purpose. And we also have to come to a point in our lives where we realize that in pursuit of God, we are not meant to have a plan B. That in pursuit of the purpose and the truth of God in our lives, we have to understand that there is never meant to be a safety net or a backup plan or an escape because things have gotten difficult, because they don't make sense. Because we don't understand. We're not called to have any alternate sources of rescue, of provision, of hope, of peace, and of security. We are meant to be trusting fully in who God is no matter what's going on around us. And we know this to be true. We know that this was the example that Jesus gave to each one of us. That he walked his life completely in reliance on his father. We know this is true for us, but so many times it becomes so difficult for us to be able to fully rely and fully trust on God when we have so many other conflicting things going on, so many conflicting narratives, so many situations in life that could be so, so very difficult and unsettling. This was also the case for the nation of Israel as we read through the Old Testament, as we read that time and time again that they were putting their trust in other things. They were putting their trust in other nations. They were putting their trust in other ways of thinking and ideologies and and ways to try to make sense of things when they couldn't see their God, but everyone else had a king to follow. And time and time again, we see them following after Egypt, being the model and being the source of what it looked like to have worldly stature and worldly surplus. You see, if we're going to be the ones who model what it is to live out the word of God, as we were just saying, if we're going to be the ones who live out a life that displays what it looks like to follow after the truth of God, 
to walk in the blessings of God, to walk in obedience to him, then we have to know who our main source is above all else, and it can't be found anywhere else. There's two verses I want to read out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 36, verse 6. It says, God speaking to the Israelites, Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. This is what happens when we trust in the information of the world, in the doctrine of the world, in the belief systems of the world. We, we lean on it because it looks like it's something sturdy, but when it breaks, it causes us to be wounded. It's not the one that we're meant to rely on. Ezekiel chapter 29 verse 16 says, And it, speaking of Egypt, shall never again be the reliance of the house of Israel, recalling their iniquity, when they turn to them for aid. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God who is always in pursuit of us and desiring for us to be in reliance on him. So when we turn anywhere else, there is something that comes as a result of this. And so when we look at our lives, we have to ask the question, what are the things that we are relying on? Is it the government? Is it our bank accounts? Is it our retirement accounts and our savings? Is it relationships in our lives? Is it stature? Is it position? Is it a job? Is it an occupation? What is the thing that we turn to in our lives? Because let's be all honest today. We all have something that we turn to. We all have something that we look to as a source of security. And the way that we know if we've placed something in this position is to just think about it for a moment. If this thing were to be taken out of my life tomorrow, would it take my identity with it? If this thing were to be ripped away from me tomorrow my bank account, my job, my retirement, my savings, this relationship, would it take my identity with it? I know that I trust in God, but if this were to be removed, obviously if we lose a job or anything like that, it's devastating. So I'm not making light of that. But our identity is not meant to be tied into those things. Our identity of who we are is not meant to be tied into those places. They cannot be our source of strength or our escape. We can no longer afford to allow anything to step into that place for our trust and our reliance to be on the systems of this world, on the idols and the ideologies that are in direct opposition to the truth of his word. We cannot go to Egypt any longer. So when I was looking at this chapter that we're going to read here today, It's Isaiah chapter 19, and it says it's an oracle concerning Egypt. I was reading this, and I was looking at some of the attributes about Egypt. And so my question here today, in advance of the other questions that I've already asked, is have we as a nation become too much like Egypt? Have we as a nation started to resemble Egypt in the way that it was standing on its own strength 
and ability and military might and innovation and what it was producing, have we as America become like Egypt? I love America. I'm not ashamed to say that I love America. I know that there are some things going around about Christian nationalism and how nationalism is a bad thing. And I agree that anything that is taken to the extreme is unhealthy. But can I tell you something? We are allowed to love the nation that God has placed us in. We are allowed to be proud of the heritage that God has invested in our nation. We can admit the faults, the failures, and the shortcomings. But we are allowed to be proud of where we have been placed. And that goes for New York as well. I know a lot of people who have said, I'm out in New York. I'm done with this place. But I'm a firm believer if God placed you to someplace, it doesn't mean that he can't call you out. But while you're there, while God has called you to be there, are you going to be the light in the darkness? Are you going to be the one who stands in the midst of everything going on around us and to bring the truth of the word of God? I, for one, am grateful that God has placed me in America and New York. So this question of has our nation become too much like Egypt, we have to look at some of what Isaiah 19 says about the nation of Egypt. But first, let's just talk about this. Isaiah 19, speaking in prophecy, when God speaks a word, sometimes it's for that moment. Sometimes it's for that moment and it's for the future. Sometimes it's for that moment and the future and another time and another time. Because God speaks outside of time. He can speak to then. He can speak to now. He can do it all through one word because he's just that amazing. So when we read Isaiah 19, we see that it spoke to some things going on then. But as we read it, I don't think we have to look too hard to see America being looked at in this, in this chapter here. So Isaiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. An oracle concerning Egypt. An oracle was a declaration of God. It says, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. And they will fight each against another. And each against his neighbor. City against city. Kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians with them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. This is not a word that you necessarily want being spoken over your nation. That God is coming in, and there's going to be a trembling that is going to take place. There is going to be conflict. There is going to be animosity. There is going to be fighting. There is going to be confusion. All of these things are going to take place. And when we look at our nation right now, can we not see some of the parallels? Can I tell you that I wasn't reading the book of Isaiah in my devotions? This wasn't a book that I was even studying at that moment, but I knew God was leading me to this specific chapter. And as I read it, I started to see something. I said, okay, there is something that God is saying in this. So number one, let's start with the idols. It says in Egypt, the idols are going to tremble at his presence. 
The idols in that time would have been more of the traditional idols. They had specific gods. They had Isis and they had Osiris and they had Apis. But for us in America, we have turned to many of the things that have become idols that are not limited to money, fame, politics. From what I can see taking place around the country right now, abortion, ideologies, ways of thinking, gender identity, all the things that are coming up right now have become idols in this nation. And God says, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. You see, God comes in and he starts to bring the truth. And everything that is not founded in the truth cannot stand. Everything that is not founded in the truth in the word of God will not be able to stand. So we see that there are idols here. The next thing is division. Egyptians versus Egyptians will fight each other, each against his neighbor, city against city. I don't think we need to go too deep into this today. We've got some division in our nation. Would you agree? All right, so we're in consensus about the fact that there's division. Poor counsel. That there's going to be poor counsel. That there's going to be this... The the verse goes on to say that there's going to be stupid advice that's going to be given. So verses 11 and 12 go on to elaborate. It says, The princes of Zoan are going to be utterly foolish... The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. Sometimes the Bible doesn't mince words. I like when it speaks clearly like this. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, a son of the ancient kings. Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. See, apparently their their counsel wasn't very wise in that time. And it says this specific phrase, how can you say that I am the son of the wise? The counselors would come and they'd say, I can give you this advice because of who my father was, because of who my father's father was, because of my lineage, because of my heritage. And he's saying, why could you, how can you say that you are a wise man because of where you've come, yet you're saying these stupid things? Because if you were really speaking the truth, you would be speaking about what I'm doing right now. You would be speaking about the the judgment that God has And you would be speaking about the Lord of hosts. When I look back at our nation, I wonder what some of our founding fathers would think about some of the decisions that are being made today. We have those who say, well, I'm in this position, so I get to make this decision and give this counsel. But what would their father say about the counsel they're giving? If we go back two and three generations, what would they say? Four and five generations, what would they say about what's taking place in America right now? We see now that our administration finally has a minister of truth, which is a really exciting thing. Except for that I don't trust any of the truth that's being ministered in that time. Where is the council coming from? You know, we don't have to look too far to look at who the counselors are in our nation. Some of the politicians that have been in office for 20 and 30 and 40 years working on the same problems over and over and over again without seeing any results. This is bipartisan, by the way. We see a lot of people making a lot of decisions. And we're like, what are the basis of these decisions? What is the counsel that is being given and received right now? What is taking place in these places? There is a level of poor counsel that is based out of humanism. See, the Egyptians lived in a humanistic culture. 
in an age where there was a humanistic drive for its own truth that perverted the landscape, that perverted justice, that perverted what was meant to be taking place, and that has happened in our nation as well, as we have removed God from the school places, from the schoolhouses, and from the courtrooms. As we have said to God, we don't need you anymore. We don't need you anymore because we've got this. There's a separation of church and state, so we don't need your opinion anymore. We don't need the Bible. We don't need the Word of God. And we see the results of this in our nation. We see the brokenness. We see the spiritual deception that has taken place. Can I ask a question again? I'm going to stop asking if I can ask a question. I'm just going to ask the question. At what point in time did we decide that the celebrities of Hollywood are the ones that we want to listen to for moral advice? What is it that gave them the ability to speak into issues that we're facing and the fact that we actually listen to them and we give them a voice? Because they can act well, they get to talk about things that are going on in our country and issues of morality? How did this happen? We gave them a voice. We gave them a voice when we removed God out of these places and we introduced this humanistic way of thinking that we have all the answers. And then we have spiritual deception, which was definitely present in Egypt. We live in a time right now where we have to have documentaries that ask the question, what is a woman? We live in a time where we have to have documentaries that answer this question, or at least attempt to answer this question. This is an actual documentary. I watched it this past week. It's excellent. I recommend anyone watch it. It's part satire, but then it gets into the truth. That in our nation, we can no longer define what is a woman. It's no wonder we can't define what a baby is when we can't define what a woman is. Like This is a very simple thing. Once again, this is not in judgment of anyone who is dealing with any kind of gender dysphoria or gender identity issues. But there is a spiritual deception that is going on right now in our nation where we have tried to define and redefine everything once again when it was so simple to begin with. This man in this documentary travels the country seeking an answer to this question and everyone he talks to is like, well... It's kind of like if you just say that you're a woman, then you're a woman. If you feel like you're a woman, then you're a woman. If that's how you present yourself, then that's what you are. And this leads us down a whole other rabbit trail of if I say that I'm something, am I that thing just because that I think that I am? You see, he asks this question all all over the place, and then he gets into some of what's taking place where parents are bringing their children into doctors to receive hormone replacement therapy and having almost irreversible surgeries that are changing the course of their lives when they're young people and they simply are going through a difficult time. And yes, they have hurt. And yes, they have pains. And yes, there are things that don't make sense, but they're allowing them to make life-changing decisions as children, and they're celebrating it. This is taking place in our nation because we have lost the ability to stand on the truth in the word of God and to know what he is saying. But we, the church, have to be the ones that bring the answers to the pain and the hurt. We can't just look and condemn people because they're making these decisions. We have to be the ones who are standing up in prayer for our nation. 
We have to be the ones who are standing up for what is right, but praying and believing that God would come in, that the Spirit would come into this land, that He would bring healing and restoration into the hearts of men and women, both young and old. But this doesn't happen until we know our identity, we know who our source is, and we know that we are here for a reason and a purpose. See, the devil thrives in broken identities. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair when somebody is having attraction to the same sex. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair when it comes to abuse of children. He doesn't fight fair when it comes to the thoughts that he instills into our young people through media and through entertainment and through all of these things. But we must raise a standard in this time to be the ones who are standing and the truth of the word of God And knowing that we have a responsibility in this time. Through grace and through love. Through the power of God. We also see that there is an oppression taking place because as a result of all of these things, as a result of the confusion, as a result of the brokenness, as a result of the the unidentified genders and all these other things, there is more depression and more brokenness in our nation than ever before. Because we have looked at these things as being the answer when they are not the answer. Our nation has pushed for these things to be the the things that are going to heal and bring healing internally. But that's not ever going to work because outside of our purpose being found in God, outside of experiencing Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we are never going to find the healing that we truly need. Can we be the ones that walk in that identity? Can we be the ones that bring hope and healing and not condemnation and judgment? I know it feels like a fine line, but if we are taking the time to say, God, would you show me what you are saying in this time? Would you speak through me? Would you give me the wisdom I need, the discernment I need, the love that I need to have? I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk like Jesus. I don't want to compromise, but I want to be one who stands in the truth. We continue in this chapter, verses 6 through 10. It speaks about Egypt. It says that its canals will become foul. The branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and they will dry up. It speaks to all of the things that will take place in that nation where their economy and the source of their strength is now being removed. It's now being dried up. And there's an interesting thing when I was reading a commentary on these verses. It was speaking to the fact that in Egypt, often the rulers... The pharaohs, the wealthy, they would actually divert the water from the main streams coming in to their own places, to their own homes. And so they were stealing basically from the people as the provision provision came in. We live in a time right now, once again, where politicians are lining their own pockets, looking for their own interests, going after the things that they want to go after. We live in a time where we see billionaires buying up farmlands and buying up the sources of our food buying up those things to profit themselves and for their own agenda. We live in a time where there is corruption that is being taking place right now, and we see the results are that the people are hurting. That the people are the ones who are in lack. The people are the ones who are suffering because of it. It was the same thing going on in that time. We continue with verses 12 through 15. This is where God looks at them once again. And he says, Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. 
Where are your wise men? I believe God looks at our nation right now and says, where are the wise men? Where are the ones that know the truth? Where are the ones that are rooted and grounded and founded in the truth and the word of God? Let it be said of the church in this time that we are the ones that rely and know the truth of God. That we stand and we speak it. That we pray for our leaders. That we pray for those who are in places of authority and leadership. That we pray that they would know the truth. That they would walk in the truth. That they would stand for what is right. The princes of Zoan have become fools and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The leaders have made the nation stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all of its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. It goes on to say that in that day the Egyptians will fear, that they will tremble. The land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. We see here that there is this parallel being drawn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and then 21 through 23 where it speaks about man's pursuit of its own truth. That we exchange the truth of God for a lie. That we didn't acknowledge him or know him and give thanks to him. But we became futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, it says they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There is a price to be paid when we place ourselves as the God of our lives as the ultimate and final authority when it comes to truth. But as we get to verse 18, we have to see that there is this shift that takes place. Because as bad as things might be, and as much as Egypt may have walked away from God, as much as America may have made decisions that have separated from the truth of what God has said and ordained for this nation, God simply cannot help himself but to bring a road and a path of restoration back to his people. He cannot help himself, but to bring a way out of the darkness, to bring an answer to the places where there is brokenness. And so we read on in verse 18, and there's this complete shift that takes place. It says, in that day, so this is a new day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. What is the language of Canaan? It's the language of the promised land. It's the language of God. It says in Egypt, there will be five cities that will speak the language of God and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. And for every five, there will still be one that will be called the city of destruction. But in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. Do we know how significant this is? Egypt was the source of the world's strength and the world's power and the world's provision. Serving after idols, going after their own identities and their own ideas. But God said in the middle of Egypt, there will be a place that the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be worshipped. There's going to be an altar in the middle of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. 
It says this, when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender and will deliver them. He will send them a savior and a defender and he will deliver them. What does our nation need? We need the savior. We need the defender to deliver us. When we cry out to God, when we seek him and know that he has given us Jesus as the answer to every issue in our world and every issue in our society and our communities, we have the ability to look to Jesus as our savior and our defender, and he will deliver us. Goes on to say in verse 21, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will worship with sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, striking and healing the best of times and the worst of times, the goodness of God in in accordance with the judgment of God. The ability of God to be able to come into a place where there is brokenness and confusion and a lack of trust in him and to turn it around and to turn the people to trust in him once again. This is what we need to be believing for our nation. This is what we need to be believing in this time. That we would stand on the truth. That we would be the examples of who God has called us to be. That we would lead by example and know that we are here for a reason. And as we do, that cities are going to be transformed. That cities are going to be transformed. That five cities are going to serve him. That there are going to be altars drawn up and made for the, for the glory of God in the midst of our cities of our nation. And that we are going to see his purpose restored in our land. It's something that only God can do. It's something that only he can do. We see so much of what has been taking place in our nation over the last couple of years. So much of the confusion, so much of the division, so much of the hurt, so much of the pain. So many even right now that are crying out for justice because they believe that they have been wronged. We live in a time of brokenness. But we also live in a time of great hope. See, God is not surprised by any of this. God is not fearful of what is taking place right now. Because he says, I know who I've placed on the earth for such a time as this. I know who I have placed on this earth. I know the purpose that I have given them. And I know what I am going to do. Do we know what God is going to do? Do we know and expect that God is going to do something incredible in this nation? He's so good, church. It is so amazing to be able to turn and to seek him in these times.